Welcome to the Unafraid Podcast, hosted on the OKC First Podcast Network. John is trying to avoid eye contact with me because we have tried this a couple times <laughs> and have failed because we he's just stared deep into my eyes. This is John. Here he is, John Mendorf. Hi, Zach. Good to be back with you. Looking forward to this particular episode uh, for sure. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Uh, we have two guests today. Uh, first, we have Bonnie Goodwin. Hi, Bonnie. Hello. And we have Jordan Park. Hello. Hello. How are you guys doing? We're good? Fantastic. Yeah. Great. Have you guys ever been on a podcast before? No. Um, unofficially? I don't, I don't know what that means. Ooh. I don't think it was ever posted. It wasn't posted? Mm. Well, we're not posting this one either. <laughs> <laughs> we just record. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Building a library. I'm fully fully experienced. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, just uh, real quick, just so we can get a glimpse of who you guys are, could we just each uh, go... And tell your title and or context. And then what is your favorite Sonic drink? Because we all need to know that. Mm. So we'll start with Bonnie. Okay. Um, my title, official title right now, is Program Manager at the University of Oklahoma's Center for Child Welfare, Training and Simulation. It's a very long title. Um, I agree. But I work at the School of Social Work. And I do several different things there. Um, I teach some classes, a lot of clinical classes, but then most of my job is working in partnerships with the Department of Human Services, Child Welfare, and I work in adoption and post-adoption specifically. And more importantly, what's your favorite Sonic drink? Right. Um, <laughs> currently, it's super boring, but it's water with strawberry. Mm. Okay. It's a spring. It's a spring flavor. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's lovely. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. that's a little bit exotic. It's not. It's a little. It's yeah. fancy. Yeah. That's like go to a conference. Fancy. That's right. You just get to do it every day. That's right. <laughs> go to a conference. Fancy. They, they always have <laughs> it's the they, weirdest measurement for a sonic drink. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they have like those big giant, you know, uh, you know, containers that have like, uh, yeah. The fruit in the water. I'm with you. Sure. Fruit, okay. in, the, fruit in the water. Fruit the in the title water. Title of my next album. Fruit in the water. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good one. I like it. Fruit in the water. Sequel fruit. to Smoke on the Water. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, uh, we'll move to Jordan. Tell us your title and context and favorite Sonic drink. How okay. fancy are we getting? Not too fancy. Okay. Uh, okay. So I am the assistant program director at Calm Waters Center for Children and Families. We are the only non-faith uh, grief based agency in Oklahoma City, and uh, I am working on my licensure as a marriage and family therapist, so I am currently a candidate in Oklahoma. I'm into OSU, Marriage and Family Therapy Program. Go Pokes. They said I couldn't say it, so I'm screaming to. it from the mountain. We're bleeping that. <laughs> <laughs> and at Calm Waters, uh, I run our free grief support groups. I see kiddos, adults, couples, and families who have experienced either a death, divorce, incarceration, deployment, deportation, or foster and adoptive care. Wow. And then we go into the schools. So. Wow. My goodness. That is a mouthful. Yeah. All the grief and Some good grief or bad grief. Whoa, uh, yeah, that's yeah. gonna be that's gonna be a joke. We're gonna have to edit that one. No, <laughs> we'll just bleep it. Okay. <laughs> All right, favorite Sonic drink. Oh, uh, I literally don't like soda until I don't know what happened. Something possessed me. I now love Diet Coke with vanilla. That is good. So I, I mean, ever I like vanilla and you know to spruce up my my Coke. Yep. Mm. Or whatever. <laughs> so, so it's very classic. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. So today we're going to talk about drama. I, I like uh, unsweet too with oh, a, little spr a little spritzer of orange in it. Spritzer. I'm so sorry I unsweet. skipped over you. Yeah, good grief. You live Speaking here. Speaking of trauma. You live here. It's like, you don't... I'm, not, it's like I'm invisible. <laughs> Gosh, just always. Behind my microphone you behind are. Behind the mic. Well, behind this, whatever <laughs> this is in front of me. It, it is a microphone. It's an apparatus. Still a microphone. I don't know why you're so weirded out. By what's your, what's your favorite Sonic drink? <laughs> um, you know, I go between some stuff, but I really like uh, the grape cream slush. Ooh. So good! Wow, or, or a cherry cream slush. They're so good. If hers was conference uh, fancy, yours is state fair fancy. That's a whole nother level right there. State fair bougie. Let's go. <laughs> Another rock group name. <laughs> Who wants some deep fried anything? 
So today we're going to talk it's about a good start right there. Yeah, I know. We're just we just can't we're off to a good start. I know, we just can't do it. Um, so today we're going to talk about trauma, and we actually have two guests here who are educated and experienced in childhood and adolescent trauma. Would Would you guys agree? Yes. Yes. Okay. Sweet. Um, and so I think I want to start off with just with just a, a solid definition of trauma. Like, what are how are we defining trauma? What does it actually mean? when we say the word trauma, especially as it relates to kids and adolescents? Um, how I would define trauma would be um, when you've experienced something that um, makes you feel extreme emotion because that extreme emotion then encodes into your body and into your brain as a, as a very vivid memory, um, not always being able to be recalled by the details of what happened but your your brain and your body can remember a lot of sensory aspects of that experience so sensory meaning like what did it smell what did you smell when that happened how did it feel you know all your senses yeah. wow um i would say trauma is something that causes you i think it kind of shifts your grounding and cutting your foundation to where it feels like your beliefs of anything, your worldview, it gets questioned, can get crushed. And like Bonnie said, again, like our brains take in something that maybe we could, we just can't handle. And so our body remembers, our senses remember, um, but it just doesn't get filed correctly. And so we do, we have these reactions where we end up protecting ourselves and maybe in different ways. And I would add that it's worse, it's a different level than just like a bad day. Mm -hmm. Like it's, um, I like how you said that, Jordan, of it like changing something that's a deep grounding within you. Um, yeah, it's, it's a significant experience. What would, you, what would you classify as a traumatic experience? They have categories okay. of traumatic experiences. Um, I'll share a few and then I'll let you. Um, so from my realm of work, there's, um, abuse and neglect. So anytime you are the object of someone intentionally causing harm to you or neglect is, um, when you are not even recognized is, is essentially the feeling. So when, um, the difference between the two, even though you're being hurt, uh, when you're being abused, you still have a place in the world but in neglect it just feels like you're not even there so it's a, a different type of deeper deeper trauma there um and then there are also other traumas that you can experience that would be like um, going through some significant major disasters like in in oklahoma if your family's experienced um a tornado hitting your house and you lose everything um, that that that's another category of trauma yeah yeah kind of like you said natural disasters um, yeah I think abuse if you're witnessing um, I think something very traumatic as in like you witness a really um, bad car accident someone is killed um, I think even working in the grief world realizing that death is traumatic and then even going deeper of a traumatic grief um, I always think, you know, with abuse, that sexual abuse, the sexual assault. Mm. Yeah, essentially the loss of any yeah. significant um, identity of yeah. who you are or a significant relationship. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a big loss in your life. Yeah. yeah. So this particular season where we're trying to talk about things that we find difficult to talk about. Um, and I, when I say we, I mean church folks, right? So <clears throat> a couple of, well, the last time we recorded one, and at this point I don't think it's come out yet, right, Zach? Right. We talked about divorce, and we weren't going to solve divorce as we talked with our expert. <laughs> um, but we did want to talk about what made it hard for that person who had suffered a divorce to come to church. So similarly, I hope we can keep in mind 
while while we are keeping in mind and rightly so that these kids who have suffered trauma, I also want to have a podcast for the families who attend here, whose kids perhaps have been blessed and not suffered trauma and yet see these other kids and, and find it a little bit harder to come to church because there are some of these other kids, mm-hmm. whether it's in the after school program or more and more often on our Wednesday nights, uh, we're, we're trying to, to cobble groups together. And I, I want to talk about that. I think that's the part that is kind of taboo ish mm-hmm. or uh, yeah, taboo ish. Like, we want to come to church, but we kind of want to go to church for the same reasons that not everybody, a lot of people want to go to church for the same reasons they want to live in a gated community. It is safe mm-hmm. and we can have good, clean fun in, in these safe spaces. And, and so when I come to church and immediately I come across five kids who have suffered trauma, one former whose ACE scores are going to be unbelievable. And we'll talk about that in a second. It's, inevitable that that kid is going to affect my kid's experience of church. So I want to eventually talk about how we can destigmatize that, first of all, and then talk about how we can help folks to live and serve together and understand our being together as the gospel. It's Their absence is not the gospel. Their inclusion is the gospel. Does that make some sense? Absolutely. Uh, so I mentioned an ACE score a minute ago and lots of the folks who are inside the um, sort of the, the insiders in this conversation, the, the professionals will, will know exactly what we're talking about, but I only know about it because you guys told me about an, an a score. So what is an a score? And um, I know you have some, some things to tell us about Oklahoma kids and a scores. So what is an a score? So an ACE is an adverse childhood experience. How many years ago was it, Bonnie? Out of California? A doctor? Yeah, I think that's right. I don't remember when exactly. Yeah. A doctor out of California started recognizing people were experiencing these diseases, these health symptoms at pretty early ages, did a lot of research on childhood, and it came down to these 10 experiences that they talk to kiddos about if they've experienced. Yeah, they um, they were looking specifically at obesity, adulthood mm-hmm. obesity, um, and started thinking a group of researchers, um, medical doctors, like you said, started thinking and talking about um, the life stories of their patients. And mm-hmm. it came up that many of them had had similar experiences as children that had been challenging. Some of those were the ones that we listed already, but also experiencing divorce in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, a mental, uh, mental parent illness. or guardian with a mental illness, incarcerated, incarcerated mm-hmm. um, oh. abuse, al- substance abuse. Mm-hmm. So they started yeah. with a study um, with many, many, there was a large sample size and they started with a, a whole lot of items not just the 10 and they narrowed it down to the 10 of being the, the most indicative of mm. this correlation between these early childhood adverse experiences um, and these adulthood um, medical issues obesity being one substance use being another um, there's a handful heart problems things mm-hmm. like that and so, yeah, that's that was the origination of the ACE score. Okay. Mm-hmm. And in Oklahoma, as I understand it, and one of the two of you told me this, I don't remember. One of the, um, Oklahoma has... Number one. We're number one? What does that mean that we're number one? Number one in what? Our children have the highest ACE score, and Oklahoma's children have the highest ACE score in the nation. I'm is that right? Um, I've, I've heard something that. like that. <laughs> no, I've heard something like we'll that. We'll get our fact checkers on. Right. Yeah, they're going. IT's on it. Meaning, does that mean that our kids on average score higher than other states' kids, or we have more kids who have suffered traumatic experiences? You see what I'm saying? That might be different. It would probably mean that of the places that we're gathering that information, um, so you, a lot of times they will add an ACE, um, questionnaire to any kind of large congregate group. So, and I don't know the extent of every state, if every state's doing the same data gathering. Okay. Um, So that's one thing. But then another would be um, 
it it would be probably an aggregate average. That would okay. be my guess. I don't know specifically, but because um, you can have zero all the way up to ten, so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it'd probably be if you had if you took the average of all of the total sample and figured out what that how however high that average would be would be higher. And it would make some sense because of some of the other ways that we measure Oklahoma and more more specifically Oklahoma City's lack of health when you have. Uh, divorce rate, um, like we've got, which is amongst the highest in the nation. We have a poverty rate amongst the highest in the nation. Our incarceration. Really What's here. that? We have really good rankings here in Oklahoma. We're number one in a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> the incarceration rate is so high mm -hmm. that we are not only amongst the highest in the country, but amongst the highest in the world for for men and women. And although we've taken some steps to alleviate some of that, uh, we're still way up there and it would make some sense that we would have as a result kids suffering these high a scores because we have all these other yeah, just based on those. elements yeah 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 and there's more I mean there's there's violence issues and um, yeah obesity issues and and all these things so Oklahoma would make some sense would have a bunch of kids with which bunch of with a bunch of really serious wounds Um and it makes it harder to do church, right? Um, okay, you mentioned before, and I think you've taught us before too, Bonnie, that, that trauma does certain things to the brain. Tell us a little bit, tell these, tell these, tell all of us lay folks how trauma affects the brain. Um, yeah, so trauma, the... The experience, whenever you initially have it, um, that's why I was talking about it being a sensory memory because it, it triggers at the, um, they call it the lower part of the brain, the amygdala, that's um, in charge of survival. Um, so that's the base of the, whenever a traumatic experience happens, that part of your brain responds, um, higher functioning thought is, is shut, down, shut down, shut off. Um, so it's hard to think through things because honestly, you don't have time. Most of the time, whenever you're trying to survive, your body is created to jump out of the way of an oncoming car, not to stand there in the road and think about it. So, um, when you have chronic experiences of that kind of level of trauma, then it affects and changes the way that your brain operates and the, the, the way that it functions. And... It's almost like um, one of the best ways I've been able to describe it to parents um, regarding children who've had um, a lot of chronic adverse experiences is you have like this, um, everyone has a top range and a bottom range of functioning. And most of us just kind of go up and down within that range. Like if you were to cross the top threshold, then um, you look kind of out of control, not kind of, very out of control, <laughs> you know, like um, extremely angry, extremely anxious, everything is just, it's just on fire. And the bottom of that range is where you're either asleep or near dead. You're not moving very much uh, and brain activity. So most of the time we um, never cross those major thresholds. And there's like a midline where we just kind of um, function around daily. But chronic trauma will move that midline up higher. So then normal functioning, when you're moving up and down, your energy and your processing and excitatory and um, the way that you function in life, when the, the midline moves up higher to that top threshold, then more often you are going over that threshold. So behavior, what it looks like from the outside, is you look like that out of control, dysregulated, kind of crazy, angry you know, you look like that more often because you're doing the normal functioning, but your threshold's higher yeah. or your midline's higher. So you're going past it. And it does, um, it affects the way that, that children, if you've, ex if you've experienced it at an early age, it affects the way that you develop. There's a normal developmental tra trajectory and not everyone develops the same, at the same pace, but there's an average 
and people typically, um, the typical development will stay within that. But it will, um, there's the potential, the risk with early traumatic experiences that that um, aspects of that developmental trajectory can be delayed or completely skipped. So social, emotional development, um, self-regulation skills, all of those kind of things either, again, are delayed, severely delayed, or have just been totally shut down. And so that, that child or that, as that child continues to grow, they have to take the time to go back and, and process and be able to catch up a little bit. And sometimes even turn that part on to start developing, um, especially the emotional oh, man. development. Gosh. So we, so, so Jordan, how, what percentage of the kids that you deal with on a regular basis would you say are trauma involved? Hmm. I would say almost all, I, uh, almost all of them. I would say too, especially since I count, you know, death, divorce as a trauma, all of them, you know, I think it all at this, at some point, some of these kiddos have experienced a loss in some form. Um, that I think, again, affects their, you know, beliefs, their relationships, and they're having to adjust to a new environment. Yeah. What does uh, what does therapy look like for, for a kid who's experienced trauma? There's a lot of different ways you can do it. Um, a popular one is called TFCBT, uh, Trauma-Focused Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And so a lot of times for... Um, kiddos for teens it looks like um doing a trauma narrative and even for adults a lot of times it's um building up coping skills to eventually get to the point of talking through what happened um kind of like bonnie said it doesn't get filed a lot of times when we have a um how i have to think of it is because again not a neuroscientist but it's almost like we've put a file in a filing cabinet and the drawer can't shut because that file is sticking out Mm. Um, and it's having to go back and kind of like Bonnie said getting those sensories okay what do we remember seeing and going through that narrative but using those coping skills we've gained Um, sometimes for littles I've done comic strips like we're you know making a comic painting it drawing it Um, and sometimes with kiddos we do play therapy um, sometimes for kiddos who have gone through a trauma, you see them acted out in their play. Sometimes for parents or guardians, that can be really scary because it can look violent, aggressive. But again, that's how they're processing. And so there's a t- bunch of different types of play therapy I do. Um, in grad school, I got trained in filial play therapy, and so I'll do that sometimes with kiddos. But a lot of times, it's doing the hard work of processing that trauma to where our brain and you might be able to explain a little bit of just how it reprocesses it and change the chemistry of um, kind of those transmitters and how it's receiving it. I've heard it explained that when you have a traumatic experience that, like you said, you're not able to get past, that the, um, your brain can't process it and put it in the, the timeline, memory, yeah. mm-hmm. in the timeline of your life and your story, then it takes a, um, it takes specific work and specific focus on that to be able to take that experience, put a frame around it, mm-hmm. so it controls it. It puts it within you have control over it instead of it having control over you, and then you're able to put it in your timeline. So you're not an, avoiding it, you're not denying it, and you're not um, letting it control you, mm-hmm. but you're accepting that this is a part of who I am. You're going through the grieving process. Mm-hmm. What did I lose from this, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, and then you're putting it in the timeline of your life and being able to um, accept that mm-hmm. piece of who you are. And I would add to um, some of the great examples that Jordan gave of therapy. There's, um, there's a pyramid... And I can't remember the name of it, so I'll have to come back to that. But the food um, pyramid, the what? <laughs> the food pyramid. Um, it's the similar. Most pyramid. It's very similar to that. 
No, 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 not that. Just trying to think of all the pyramids. Um, Just trying to think of all the all the famous pyramids. One hundred thousand dollar pyramid. Uh, it's trauma. Okay. It's about trauma. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and it talks about how there's a bottom layer um, that you have to to achieve before you're able to move up, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the the whole point of any kind of pyramid that you all just mentioned. And so there's this um, when we when we had a counseling center that was serving foster and adoptive children, that was really what we looked at was, okay, on this pyramid, the bottom layer is going to be security and mm-hmm. attachment and relationship mm-hmm. and connection. And so being able to have um, have family, have a home, have um, meaningful connections to other people. And so that is necessary mm-hmm. to get to that next level of being able to do a lot of that trauma work mm-hmm. because you have to feel secure and yeah. stable to be able to start really processing and putting yeah. that frame around um, the traumatic experience that you've had. And what's also hard with trauma work is if the trauma is continuing, like if it's still ongoing. Oh, man. Yeah. And yeah. so then, and then, or if there's been multiple, if an individual has experienced multiple traumas. Um, and I think there's all different types of therapy. It's not just those, you know, I think a lot of people take their own models that they learn in school and kind of do that. And I do kind of what you said, a lot of focusing on these emotions and creating new experiences, but it's, it's hard and it's scary work. And I always, you always talk to them about, they're doing the hard work that again, it's, you want to avoid it because who really wants to face and re- be reminded of these awful, awful experiences. Um, we're going to work our way toward ministry and what ministry could look like, right? Yeah. But maybe maybe an incremental step is the discussion about best and worst practices. And I kind of want to start with worst. Yeah, that's the that's the was the next question I was thinking of was just yeah. what what is harmful? Yeah. What what have you seen um that you would put in the category of worst practices when working with trauma involved or trauma what's what's the term? Is it trauma involved kids or what what's the term? Trauma. I say kids who have experienced trauma. Oh, kids who have experienced trauma. Okay. That's great. Great. Right. So what have you seen that you would say, yeah, never do this? So let me me, uh, say that the pyramid I was talking about, and and I'll just lead (laughs) into it, is ARC, A-R-C, attachment, regulation, and competency. Mm -hmm. So attachment is that bottom level regulation and then the ability to be um, gain competencies and have higher functioning. So if you think about that, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, too many times I, um, in, our, in our society, we expect children to um, get to self-regulation and competency, so higher functioning of general, um, like how to be able to make good decision-making, like having good decision-making skills. Um, we expect a child to already have that attachment part figured out Um, because that typically happens in the first three years. Three years is when attachment really solidifies for a child. Um, And then, you know, beyond there, that attachment just continues to stay secure if it's not not traumatic and done well. So then whenever, whenever children are going into groups in public places, school, church, um, after school programs, anything like that, then typically we don't have to worry about that bottom attachment piece. And we can just jump to, you should be able to regulate yourself, um, deal with your, um, your, the, the needs that are happening inside your body and learn how to wait your turn, um, you know, and then have good decision-making skills. Don't make bad choices. And if you do make bad choices, then you're going to have a consequence. Um, and the, it's not that those things are bad inherently, The problem happens is that clearly whenever the children that we're working with don't have that bottom foundation of attachment and secure relationship or there's traumatic experiences that they might have some good relationships, but those relationships, um, there's still other environmental things going on, poverty, things like that, that cause um, continued and chronic fear, then that attachment, that security at the bottom is still not solid. So the capacity of the child to be able to get to that regulation, self-regulation, and then higher level decision-making, it's, it's just almost unfair. 
for us mm. to be expecting them to be able to make good choices versus bad choices whenever that bottom layer is still not fully solid. So too many times we um, we go to very behavior management um, orientation where you are using punishments, consequences, and again, those are not inherently bad, but they don't they just don't work as well um, when you don't have solid and secure attachment. So a one size fits all either punishment or reward system is likely to not be super helpful for the trauma, the kid who has suffered some trauma. That, yes. And I would also add with the regulation piece, I didn't even mention this yet. So regulation is um, the ability to control yourself, control your impulses and, um, you know, not overreact to everything, control your emotional responses. So really how we help kids be able to develop that is by helping them but before they're able to get to that point. If you think about a baby or a toddler, we really regulate their external environment for them. We give them routine. We keep them on a routine. Um, it doesn't matter whether it's the weekend or not. Bedtime's the same, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we regulate a lot. We're the, we're the external regulators to then model and help their regulating system get used to that so too many times also in large groups we expect um that that's fully functioning or developed as well and so things become a little more um flexible and fluid as a child gets older which can work but a lot of a lot of our kids who've experienced early trauma um struggle whenever there's not a set routine and structure because that regulation, they need a strong co-regulator. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. They need someone, they need an external regulator to help them be able to control internal impulses and needs. So those would be two things. Okay. So what are, what are some, some best practices? And especially I keep p- picturing this, uh, this pyramid, like how do we, how do we start to establish that, that bottom base of the pyramid like what are what are ways to help foster attachment it's one of my favorite questions (laughs) um it's the it's the best stuff of being human um it's all the nonverbal stuff it's the the tone of voice it's um safe and secure touch if that's um comfortable and okay for, for the child receiving it. Obviously, if there's a child who's had a sexual abuse traumatic history, then that's that needs to be adaptable. But high fives, you know, um, one arm hugs, those things are actually really important um, for a, establishing attachment and connection. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's that. And then all the, if you think about all the things of like love languages, <laughs> all that stuff is attachment stuff. Mm-hmm. It's all relationship connection. And so being able to understand how each of us as adults, um, how we typically give love, but then also how all the kids that we're working with, how they can best receive it. And sometimes those aren't the same. So it's our responsibility because we're the adults to be able to figure out, well, how does this child need to be loved? How does this child receive it well and the most? You know, um, does this child need words of affirmation? Does this child need to know that they're doing a great job? every minute <laughs> or every hour because um, it's that external um, external affirmation and oh gosh there's so many other aspects of that is there anything you want to add I think kind of what you're saying is like I think when you read like attachment theory research at first you're kind of like there's it's hopeless like you get your attachment and you're done for the rest of your life like your relationships are done for but I think what at least for what I love reading is Sue Johnson's information on attachment, just how new experiences can change your, you know, your attachment with future relationships, current relationships. And like you said, all these things of creating a new experience that provides safety, structure, consistency. Um, I think, yeah, how are you creating safety for someone? Absolutely. How are you showing up? I've watched you do some really good mentoring work. Oh, thanks. 
with someone that I think probably has a score, um, an A score, um, what has been the most uh, effective resource or what, what have you found, what, what strategy have you found to be most effective as you have um, mentored? Mm. Um, I think just showing up, showing up, being consistent, but then when you disappoint someone, validating the heck out of that of like, I disappointed you. And I bet that didn't feel good. I bet that was kind of a bummer. And I hate, you know, that I did that. Yeah. Um, this is how I'm going to do it next time. Yeah. And I think as adults, um, it's hard to sometimes admit when we do something wrong. And, but I think mo- getting to model to a kid to own it and to re- validate that what that experience maybe we caused in that small moment, even it, even if uh, into us we're like, do you see everything else? You know, I try to do, but I think in that one moment, like if they were disappointed, being able to say like, yeah, that disappointed you. That's hard. Yeah. Just owning your stuff is, and I think it's hard to own our stuff. All right. So ministry at a local church of any size, we're a good size local church. You end up, whether you like it or not, a lot of times you end up having macro thoughts. Okay, how can I herd all of the kids over here? How can I herd all of the kids over there? What kind of, even down to the teaching moment, like I I want to teach as many of the kids as possible this thing, right? But what I'm hearing from you guys seems to indicate that kids who have suffered trauma may not ever fit nicely into the particular herd that we're thinking about when we use macro thinking. Mm-hmm. So convince me that you can still do ministry <laughs> to to kids who have not been damaged and traumatized alongside the kids who have. Like what 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 would you do? Would you staff differently? Would you teach differently? Would you how would you plan differently? So I think one of the really cool uh, models that we've been able to see in a lot of different um Schools and special education programs, it could be a similar uh, adaptation. Yeah. Um, peer mentoring. So where you've got kids who may be um, on the typical ability range, but, you've, but you identify them and you talk to them about being a peer mentor. Mm. So you uh, empower them to have this, to take on this role of caring and and how amazing is that to have this additional like you're adding to that continued growth of them uh, for the child to be able to grow in this understanding of how can I then I've got some of this regulation I have a really solid background of secure attachment so now it's time for me to give back it's time for me to start building into other and and at early ages you know so um, talking about that making it really clear and empowering them that they can do that. And then pairing them up um, in classrooms where you've got kids with other abilities. Um, And so there's some uh, additional challenges within that, right? Like there Mm -hmm. might be a little more chaos. Um, You won't be be able to accomplish everything that you might be able to do with your typical classroom. But at the same time, you're working on other things that are just as important. So I think what that looks like when you're adapting it to church and ministry with kids, I mean, what an incredible part of being able to teach kids how to be Christ to each other and um, calling them to that level um, and also supporting them in that by those things that we had mentioned. They, they um, empowering them with, with routine, with structure, Every child, no matter what age and no matter whether they've had trauma in the background or not, if they know what to expect, every, every child feels more secure. So it's helpful to all, you know, to have a pretty yeah. structured routine, have it consistent, um, and that can help the whole group. How young can a peer mentor be? I think they've, I remember, I think it started in kindergarten. Oh, okay. 
So all through elementary school, and then there's like mentors, uh, student mentors in middle school and high school. So, and this is the old youth worker planner in me. Sounds to me like the first, the first season of training you would have to have would not be with the, the peer mentors themselves. It would need to be with your parents. Where you say to a group of parents, hey, I know, especially when you have churches of size large enough to have full-time and professional youth workers, I know that we're kind of used to, whether we really articulate it well or not, we're kind of used to that being sort of a, a cruise ship activities director. And and the and the Am I emphasis to amen right now. Yeah, and the and the <laughs> emphasis is is on and not all of this is bad by the way. The emphasis is on making memories. The emphasis is on uh, fun because I I don't think that's contrary to the gospel. Um, it gets it gets a little bit wonky in kids ministry and maybe even more so in middle school and high school ministry when there is an overemphasis on the, the making of the memory or the fun part. Uh, and a lot of times that's to the exclusion of the kid as minister part. You know, my, my child as minister part. So it seems like we would, it, we would need to, how long, how long would you guys recommend? How many weeks in a row would we need to train our parents of our children as, as young as kindergarten and as old as our high school kids, uh, and maybe older than that someday, because it strikes me that a kid can go through a traumatic experience at 18 and stop development, developing there. Yeah. Um, how many weeks in a row do we need to, to talk to those parents to sort of get their permission in one way or another or in all the ways? Yeah, to get them to buy in so that I don't measure the church and the church's effectiveness by how often they have sleepovers at the church or non-sleepovers at the church uh, or, you know, some sort of wrestling event, right? But I start to measure health and success in different sorts of ways, right? It seems like a paradigm shift. Absolutely. Like, how long do you need to talk to parents? How long would you two, how long do you need to talk to parents to, to try to shift their expectations of what a, with Zach in the room, with what a youth ministry is supposed to, quote unquote, look like? hard to put a number yeah. number to it um but i think i'm sure that jordan's thinking the same thing there's like things popping into my mm -hmm. head that i'm like well we'd need to cover this we need mm -hmm. to cover <laughs> we need to cover um what aces really means yeah. we need to cover um the ace score of your own backgrounds you know a little bit of self-reflection -re wow. yeah um everyone loves a little insight huh Oh my yeah. goodness! Yes. Here's how you've damaged your kids. <laughs> I mean, we wouldn't say that. Um, On no those words. But to have to have some really honest conversation yeah. of like, this is not an us versus them, right? You know, because that would be what's really important to me mm -hmm. if we if we were to to do set up some type of peer mentoring is that it's not that your child is the chosen one and these children are broken. Yeah. But it's that. Um, you're, you have provided, you've had the resources and the, um, privilege and the ability to provide for your child some solid beginnings that this, that some, not everyone gets. And so therefore, um, we are asking you as a family to come together and support and empower your child to be a support and empowerment to the rest of the children, um, in our church. So I think... Mm -hmm however long it would take, because you said paradigm shift, and I think there's a big part of, I think there's multiple paradigm shifts probably within that. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking like some kind of really intensive retreat yeah. <laughs> where yeah. we go in depth and then ongoing, ongoing refreshers. Yeah, because I think exactly what you said, it's like those topics, like where do you even start? And I think what you said is empowerment and empathy. Yeah. I think starting with that of, I always try to change the word of acting out, or this is a behavior problem mm -hmm. child, but even as like an early therapist, you hear these things about people, how what they're doing to other people, and you're like, how can people do that? And you just have to think about that person was hurt at some point or time. Yep. And I think just starting with that empathy of where do we find the humanity, and I think like you said, like how Christ, and even changing it to grace and mercy, like Christ saw 
us, you know, like, and then how we need to see and love people the way we're loved. And so giving people that grace and that mercy, but yeah, empowerment, empathy. But yeah, to it, I mean, you can't just teach it overnight, too. So I think you better not be messing with me. This is getting me excited. I know. I'm like, wait. <laughs> I mean, I think I, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I don't think this is a marketing strategy at all. In fact, if anything, I think this is a good way to lose people from your church, right? And yet, I think there are a whole bunch of people who would say, okay, so you're telling me that if I can start my kid who has had the benefit of some privilege and who has had the benefit of resource, and I can start my kid as early as, uh, I'll say, her kindergarten year, we can get her started on this road to maturity and health that she might not have otherwise achieved by helping her to see right now how she can not only benefit somebody else, but be benefited by that other person in the room. I, I do think you will lose some, I mean, we have recently lost families who just their, their kids aren't quite safe enough. Right now, what we can own and what we should own is, well, maybe we haven't been as explicit as we need to be. Here's what we want to be as a ministry to children. Here's what we want to be as a ministry to teens. What we don't want is a divided mind that says, okay, we've got the neighborhood kids and then we've got the church kids. Yep. And we've got the neighborhood teens and then we've got the church teens. That, that helps none of us, nope. right? But if we can be more forthright, as we say to the the parents of the neighborhood kids and the parents of the church kids, right? Say, nope, we're going to change our language, and these are all of our kids. Yes. And some of them have had the the blessing of privilege, and some of them have had the the trauma of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to figure out how to build a little different kind of a neighborhood here, which means you can't. You can't measure success in the same way that you would where you have people who are literally hired to be the games people, right? We're going to have to be – that doesn't mean we don't play games. It might mean that we choose our games more carefully. I thought you said gangs, so I'm glad we're on the same Uh, Games, not gangs. Yeah. Jordan, do you want to start a gang with Hugs, not drugs. Oh, sweet. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. It might mean that you staff differently. It certainly means that you communicate differently to the parents. Yeah. It might mean that you take mm-hmm. trips differently. Mm-hmm. But I I think that there would be a lot of a, a lot of people who would welcome the opportunity to put their kids into that kind of a system that I think will result in a kid that has the chops to remain Christian and to remain a part of a restorative kingdom mm-hmm. kind of a movement and effort. Whereas right now, all the statistics say about the worst thing you can ever do for a kid at church, if you have in mind that you want that kid to stay in church as an adult, the worst thing you could ever do is completely cater to that kid. Completely cater. Like, no, no, no. I want there to be more smoke machines. I want there to be more dancing. I want, I want you know, mm-hmm. only dessert. Um, that's the worst thing you can do because someday they go to big church and the pews are hard. Right. Yep. And, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, is there any, uh, are there any resources, uh, aside from you guys sitting right here, I have the, the benefit of just being able to like call you, which is kind of nice. Uh, but are there resources for anybody who's listening, um, who is think who are thinking about who might have a ministry or are working with kids who, um, might want to access, uh, resources that would help them create more therapeutic spaces, um, and more therapeutic ministries to kids with experiencing trauma. Like helping them, like someone coming into their space and training them or like resources in the community. Yes. All of it. Whatever you want to give us. (laughs) Well, I think, um, there's a lot, if you, Google that ARC, A-R-C, mm-hmm. pyramid, that is that that will lead you to a lot of good trauma awareness and trauma understanding, um, a lot of good reading based off of some of the stuff that we were talking about today. And then there's also um, TBRI, Trust-Based Relational Intervention, is a therapeutic parenting, it, but they've also been able to apply some of the techniques to schools. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think would be a similar application to church ministries. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the good thing about that is that it's very, 
there's a lot that they have um, developed and put online mm-hmm. for people. It, it's it's catered to foster and adoptive families, um, but but there's just so many resources online. If you just yeah. Google um, trust based relational intervention, you're going to find a lot of videos and a lot of good information, um, and there's some good research behind that that as well. Um, those are the, and, and that one is like, again, focused on technique. So like skills of being able to, of there's, um, the connecting. So a lot of the attachment stuff that we were talking about focuses a lot on that ways to do that. Um, very practical ways to empower children. So like the structure routine, that kind of stuff. And then, um, correcting principles, mm-hmm. which are how to intercede, how to, how to help guide behavior without, um, going too far and having too high of expectations for, for kiddos who have had those early adverse experiences. So there's some good strategies and good practical um, tools in, in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know the HALA project does a lot of TBRI trainings and information for the community. Um, Bonnie. Oklahoma. Yeah, for Oklahoma, Bonnie does a lot of TBRI stuff. Um, I love, (laughs) uh, I love, even if like when I'm working at Calm Waters and a family calls and either, um, they want to use their insurance, um, because we use a sliding scale when we do therapy, but I love helping people find therapists that are going to work best for them, their families, their kiddos. And so, um, sometimes that looks like looking at their insurance and figuring and sometimes people don't know how to do it. It's, you know, you can go to a doctor's office and you're like, this is my copay and I know exactly how it is. But then trying to find people within their network for behavioral health is sometimes a foreign concept. And so um, I always talk about, you know, talking to friends, talking to people who know and finding a good therapist and a good fit. And sometimes that is hard. Um, I've gone to not great therapists and I've had to keep trying and it's easy to give up. But I always say keep trying. And lastly, before we get to rapid fire, um, what we, we like to end on hope a lot mm. and specifically within, um, our context, what, what, what is your hope as we continue to wade into the waters of, uh, inclusion and, and, um, and including, um, everyone across the socioeconomic, all those boundaries, um, what is your hope for us as we continue to craft, and shape our ministries and um, shape our people um, as we continue to come into contact with people who've experienced trauma. Um, I have many different things of, of hope that are coming to my mind. One, very selfishly, is um, that I have two daughters here, um, seven and ten years old. So the idea of paradigm shift and them being in the midst of that, the whole time I'm talking about this, I'm thinking and imagining that I am that parent that, that will be um, joining that, that shift and joining that journey and that my children will be the ones that are, that are there, you know, um, all the way through for years <laughs> still. And that to me, I will be honest that I think there is a, a deep breath that you take as a parent of like, okay, like this, this is different than what I experienced as a child whenever I went to youth group and to kids, kids church. And, um, and so there's, there's a, you realize the depth of the calling, I think is at least that's what I'm feeling, but also the, what an incredible experience for our family and what an incredible experience for our um, our church, and and I I am a social worker by by trade by profession, and that is I mean this this embodies totally the the heart of what I stand up and teach every day of that this is um, we we don't come to people to fix them to serve them I mean we do to serve but it but not to, to do something to them. Um, it's a partnership. It's a journey. And, and that, to me, is what we're talking about, is that we are, church is not supposed to be a place where, for either, where people just come to be served, or that the people who are serving in the church are the experts that just get to dole out their, you know, 
beautiful experiences or, you know, anything like that. But it's, it's the other way around where, like you said, John, of like, um, my kids are going to learn just as much from mm-hmm. the kids that they are walking next to. Um, and, and there's, and it's going to be messy. I think there's a, because they're growing at the same time, but, but Matt and I, as, as their parents are called to that as well. So it's supposed to be a family. And so there's so many layers of like, these kids are going to be so like, what an incredible opportunity for them. What an incredible opportunity for our, our family. And then what an incredible opportunity to join with this body of people that we have committed to, to be in the midst of, um, I'm getting all emotional. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So that's, um, to me, that's the epitome of hope, mm-hmm. of where it's like, this is this is a journey. This is, there's going to be hard times. It's going to be messy. Um, but what incredible outcomes could mm-hmm. be. Mm. Yeah. Um, I would say just, yeah, kind of busting that stigma and taking away this belief of, you know, what does trauma mean about someone and then giving them an identity because of that, but allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and sitting in those tough experiences without feeling like fixers that we have to now fix it. And I think when you ask the question, you know, what is bad practice? Um, in our training that we, we do a grief training every second Friday of the month. And one of our things is, you know, what are things you don't say to someone who's grieving in any type of grief? And, you know, a lot of it are those, we bring up those religious cliches. And I think as the church, um, when someone shares something, I always love Brene Brown's, uh, empathy versus sympathy, but when someone shares something so difficult with us, that's hard because to really empathize and sit in that experience, we have to identify something hard for us or when we have felt that emotion. And so, you know, when someone comes up to us and is like, you know, I'm getting a divorce or, um, my child just experienced this. You know, not saying like, um, we always say at least, you know, Brene Brown talks about, you know, we, and now in my office, if we at least someone, you know, saying like, at least did it happen or Mm. they're in a better place, God has a plan and um, not taking away that power from God, but that doesn't help that situation, that moment. We always talk about, you know, grieving people who, when someone says someone's in a better place, you're like, but that better place is with me, you know, or, Mm -hmm. but I think having to be vulnerable and sit in those tough experiences and like you said, learning from that if it's peer support and peer mentoring that it's a cycle not a one way because even though I've had been a mentor to this amazing little girl for almost three years now her family took me in and treats me like family and I learn every like I learn stuff from them all the time um, mm-hmm. and they care for me in different ways when my family's you know out of the state um, and so yeah yeah there's a real mutuality to it and that, I think that's the, seems like the gospel, it really is about bodies. And it seems like bodies need dignity as much as they need just about anything else. And so I think what we're talking about here is dignifying, but not just for the trauma-involved in, kids. It's also for the, the kids who would be peer mentors or for the, the youth pastor. Or, I mean, it, there's, there's dignity in it for everybody, seems like. Um, Man, you guys are invaluable. Invaluable. Both of you have a role in our in our both in our church and in the nonprofit. So we're we super glad that you're here, and you cannot go anywhere else. Yeah, please don't leave. <laughs> yeah, we need you. Yeah. Uh, Same to you both. Yeah. yeah. For Thanks. Not anywhere. Well, I'm going to a game here pretty soon. Well, that's so pretty good. Remember. My parents are in town, so I got right, to good. see them. But uh, before we do that, we got to yeah. get to everybody. America, uh, the world's favorite segment. Yeah. Rapid fire questions. Yes. So uh, John and I are going to alternate uh, back and forth, and we're going to ask uh, uh, just random questions, stream of consciousness, <gasps> stuff that comes to our head. Right. It's, so exciting. it could be anything. Right. We, I mean, literally anything. So yeah. be prepared. Oh. My goodness, John, I think you need to start. Okay. Uh, musical instrument that you wish you knew how to play, Bonnie? Tuba. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Jordan? Tambourine. Tambourine. Uh, Everyone's like, that's easy. It's not. You have to have a beat rhythm. I, I've tried. I've tried. It's really, it's hard. I've wanted to play the tambourine. I have wanted to play the tambourine since I was a little girl. Wow. <laughs> Wow. It's about time. I'm still reading the instructions. What a what? Okay, is can I be on the worship team now? Can 
Uh, Tamara's office is like right over there, <laughs> ten feet Tamara, away. Hello. You can ask her. Uh, what's a food combination that repulses you, Jordan? Oh my oh, gosh! Wow. Someone said something weird. Someone said on the radio the other day, chocolate and pickles. Ooh. I love both. And then someone said they dipped their pickles in chocolate, and I literally like hmm. outwardly gagged in nah. my car. It's kind of weird. Can't even, can't even picture it. Yeah. Peas and carrots. Peas, peas and, and carrots. carrots? That's yummy. Peas. No, peas I... explode in your mouth. It's gross. <gasps> <laughs> oh, um, I didn't know that. Wait, John, I actually want to know what your food combo is. I know you weren't prepared that for I this. Don't, that I don't like? That I think yeah, is repulsive? Yeah. yeah, do you have a food combo that you find repulsive? You're a dad, so no, you like I everything. No, everything. <laughs> I'm a mixer, or at least I'm not a I'm not a careful separator. I did. I, I remember my wife was repulsed by the fact that you mixed artichoke dip, artichoke dip and salsa together when we were at Charleston's one time. Oh, that's not well, bad. That's, that's not bad. Actually, delicious. what yeah, God intended okay. for that yeah. to be is it in the Bible? Like I made that up. I can find that for you in the Bible. In the Bible. Um, what about you? Uh, I do not like chocolate chips and um, grilled cheese. Some people do that, and it what? weirds me out. What? Yeah, it's a real thing. People do. That. People I've do never that. heard that. That's probably a youth worker thing. Yeah. Yeah. They probably do that at their I meetings. I'm married to one. Yeah. A bunch of I am married to one. Yeah, <laughs> you, you are. To, whatever. Yeah. 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 yeah, you're still married to him. <laughs> I'm still married to him. <laughs> <laughs> a song that is the last, the last song, or the song that is currently on your means of listening. Like that I just listened to. Right, right. Oh. It's so shockingly, and actually, it's a Christian song. What? I know, right? <laughs> I don't listen to this. Right? Um, it is called. Oh, oh, I don't know where can you feel the love tonight came from. Whoa! Oh, 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 oh. Can't, can't change your answer. Playing it at our house. <laughs> can't change your answer. It actually was. Oh my god! Yeah, listen on Garen's iPhone. No thanks. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it was Awakening by Amanda Lindsay Cook. Sure. She wrote an album after her divorce, and it is ooh, raw, heart-wrenching. Okay. Awakening by uh-huh. Amanda Lindsay Cook. Good. All right. Not by Elton John. No, sorry. Can you feel the love done? Okay. <laughs> what about you, Bonnie? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of in a Billie Eilish stage. Wow. All right. Angsty yeah. girl. Very yeah, right. good. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Dig it. Uh, we'll stick with music. What was the What was the first CD you ever bought? Uh, New Kids on the Block. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, like that I bought or that my family bought for me. First CD you ever acquired. Okay. It was either Plus One, the Christian boy band, or Britney Spears' Oops, I Did Again. That is, like, on the different <laughs> spectrum. Wow. But I remember those were, like, two that I remember wanting. You do some soul searching, and you get back to me, and you let me know which one it actually wow, was. And then we'll vote on your character. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, if uh, – okay. Favorite, favorite restaurant for a nice night out. For you oh, and Matt. That's a good one. Um, oh, no. It's the one. It's downtown. I can't think of the name of it right now. What kind of food? Fuzzies. No. <laughs> Sonic. <laughs> oh, here. I, I just thought of another one. It's downtown as well. The the tower in the halfway vast. up the. Yes. Oh, Vast. Oh, yeah, vast. that's a good one. That's, that's a, a great one. one. I was saying, I finally for... just went to Vast for the first time and I'm sold. But I mean, yeah. can we only afford it like maybe once a year for Lucky? Right there. That's right. Yeah. What about for you and Garen? Oh, Vast? Is that is you? Vast is the your same answer? one? That, I mean, that's like if we're just, that was for his 30th birthday, so I don't know the next time we'll ever go. Right. It's only nice 31. restaurant that I thoroughly enjoy. <gasps> oh, um, what's it called? I do love Ozo in the Paseo. Mm-hmm. And the so new good. one that's like across. From there, Jordan sort of is like now across, gesturing um, <laughs> across from Oso. It's kind of new. Frida, I no, oh. never heard of that. Frida and Ozo. Ooh, oh, so good. I have to try that. Yeah. Um, man, I had one. Oh, what is your biggest fear? Oh, <laughs> one of the long list of fears. Well, if I'm being super vulnerable, because I just talked about vulnerability, mm-hmm. is Garen um, dying? Oh. 
Wow, it got dark a minute. Wow. Just all of a sudden. Like oh, like okay, if we're being like... Uh, <laughs> Paper cuts. Like, nope, it's my husband dying. Um, I mean, it's legit. It's yeah, legit. It when you work at a grief agency, you go, you go deep and dark fast. Yeah. Um, like, biggest fear, probably spiders. Throw, oh, you know what? Here's a shout out to my husband. Today's Valentine's Day. And, you know, you might somebody might have gotten you roses or chocolates. But on Garen's day off today... I was trying to get to work and our dog had thrown up and I like almost cried because I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And I begged and I said, I can't do it. Like cannot hang. And I literally said, I will do anything. And I'm like almost in tears. And so, um, I, he got out of bed on his day off early to clean up the dog puke because I can't hang. So go Garen. That is love. Way to go Garen. Fear. Um, there's a name for it that I can't remember, but like, the, like if you look at a picture, you look at something, and it has a b- whole bunch of holes, little holes, all together. There's a fear of it. Have you guys seen that picture? What? Wait, I have no idea what you're. Oh my gosh, um, it's like a. They say it's a evolutionary thing that most of the time, whenever there's a whole bunch of holes in something in nature, it's like there's insects or something that's going to hurt you, so you <gasps> naturally. Shut, like, don't touch things with a whole bunch of little holes in them. I'm really? I'll send wow. it to you all. Okay. Yeah, I would you'll, like that. You'll see I'm it. Wow. Really confused, actually. Yeah. And now every time I think of the pictures, I'm like, really <laughs> All right, very John, disturbing. close it up. One last one. Uh, this is so fun. Your, the, what you would name your boat if you had your own boat? This is, a, this is a very popular question. Yeah. Sally. Sally the boat. I like it. Try it and we'll bleep it. <laughs> something about like a booty or something. Like big booty Judy or something. There you have it. Sweet. Right on the line. Big, that's it. <laughs> Not sure. Big booty Judy the boat. <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. Well. Maybe uh, I should redo it. I don't know. No, no, no. no, 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 no we're, keeping that one, yeah. we're keeping it. We're keeping it. We. You're done. Yep. Sorry, that was part of the rules. I promise I'm a professional. <laughs> <laughs> I help grieving children. <laughs> Don't put that. I did that. Oh, is that on your business card? <laughs> I promise I'm a professional. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bonnie and Jordan, thank you so much for joining us. Um, maybe we'll have you back sometime at some point. That'd be great. You just yeah. let us know what you want to talk about, and we'll, we'll talk Ooh, about it. Okay. John, thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Sweet. Catch you guys next time. All right, let's go. Bye.